Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So yeah, they're all they're all students on the winning mindset program. So winning mindset, yeah, yeah, which is all about how to fight wokery. Oh, okay. When did you set this up? Um, I started it twelve months ago um, with the help of a woman called Alex Aaron, who runs uh, the Gender Mapper program, and we started a trial with eight people from all over the place. And then it was such a success in a short space of time that I advertised it for other people and see if they wanted to come on board. So now we're, now we're building it now. Is it deprogramming? De um, that was a really interesting conversation that we had, actually, Benjamin, about that, because deprogramming is a word that would be well-recognized and used in America. Yeah. But over here, people would look at you like you were a lunatic. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so it, it's essentially, it's about critical thinking. It's about considering some of the philosophical, philosophical ideas that are happening due to the position that we're in as a species, as well as looking how all this stuff hides within media. So we do okay. media representation and media analysis as well. But it's fascinating stuff. And we take in history, we take in anthropology, yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's really peculiar. It's, it's almost like a really sort of polymath light type thing going on. <laughs> polymath very light how did you get um prepared for this work then well was it was i became i mean i became very aware that um what i was seeing was a lot of very confused parents who were very very disturbed and worried about their children and my interest was in all of it i.e the whole gamut so critical race theory queer theory gender identity ideology and the whole sort of misrepresentation of postmodernism, post-structuralism. So that's where my interest comes from. But I then, but I've been teaching as an adult educator for over 30 years. And somebody said to me, how would you get somebody to understand this? How would you get them to get their head around it and form? Because I think the only way to, to deal with this is to tell stories. So it's all about narrative construction, right? So, yeah, which must be temporally anchored. So the further back you go, the better. Okay. How right? far so back do we go? Do we go to the beginning? Well, I, well, I mean, we. I can start you in 18, 1890s, if you like. I can start 1890s? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, we, we, the trial of Oscar Wilde in Britain, for example. Oh. Which had a profound impact on how we are now, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you could, but, but that's just one narrative in many. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, but the situation that we find ourselves in is that we are unanchored from that which we find familiar. We've, um, well, my phrase was we've, uh, but we pathologized normalcy and normalized pathology. Absolutely right. Now, Frank mm. Ferretti talked about this about 25 years ago. He wrote a great book called Culture Th Therapy Cultures, right, okay. by Frank Ferretti. He's a very smart man, Frank. I've met him a couple of times. Oh. And I tweaked, I tweaked something was going on then, but I didn't see the devastating effect of what it would be at that point. Okay. Um, it, was only, it was only when I, when I realized that what we were seeing was not, in fact, a call for equality of any kind, but a call for equity. And and essentially a call for an end to our way of life, which is what this is actually aimed at. That's what queer theory is about. Okay. So, so what it go on, sorry, go on. Well, what is our way of life then? Because I think we've lost that 
as a society. We've kind of assumed it so much that kind of like the word woman, we're like, we can't even really define it anymore. So like, let's base ourselves in the based and then go into the deconstruction and then to the rebasement. Or the okay. Rebasing. Yeah. Okay. Now bear this in mind. I'm not an academic. All right. You're a storyteller though. I'm just your average Joe, right? Okay. Yeah. To use an American term. Okay. What, what are you, a bloke? You can, do you guys say I'm just bloke? a bloke. I'm a blokey bloke, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a blokey bloke, right? Yeah. So um, let's think about it this way. What we've seen over the past 60 years, in fact, since the Industrial Revolution, is the most extraordinary speeding up of what we would traditionally have called an aeon or an era. Right. So if you look at modernity before that, when we were doing the whole, you know, wandering around picking grapes and then eventually we did arable farming. And well, when we got to the Industrial Revolution, that speeded up exponentially, got faster with the invention of the silicon chip and faster still with digital. So we're in what a state of what I call punctuated equilibrium. Punctuated. Yeah. Which is a theory from biology that every now and again, evolution takes a mad jump. Oh, like a cambrial explosion or something like that? Yeah, very similar sort of idea. So 80% of the time, nothing happens. 20% of the time, everything goes batshit crazy. Yeah, just like my love life. When, when, you, when, you look at, when you look at that particular biological theory, it talks about what happens when species get pulled off to the side and are separated from the herd. Well, what we're seeing is exactly the same whole happening culturally and technically, in that for 80% of the time, which was up until 1980, very little happened right? Maybe even before that, if you like. And then all of a sudden it's gone wallop. And we've all been knocked sideways by the most extraordinary and powerful technologies that we do not yet know how to use. Is, That's part of the theory. Just for a visual or, or metaphorical uh, understanding of this, and I, I oh. intuitively know that this isn't correct, but maybe illustrative example, like the Galapagos Islands, where you have all these different kind of clades, all this separation, and then you can watch evolution kind of tweak things yeah. or survival uh tweak things this way and that way and so with the internet specifically with these chat forums with the marginalized now being able to connect with one another and actually have a yes. massive effect we're having the speeded up kind of evolution on a cultural level where these Culture crazy ideas absolutely right absolutely and, right now what's interesting about that is that you mentioned the galapagos island when i teach about this i use the example of lonesome george lonesome george and he was, was the, the last tortoise. He was last tortoise of his species on the Galapagos Islands. Oh, okay. Lonesome but actually, George. they found more of his species, but they look radically different because they'd been subjected to punctuated equilibrium. Okay. So they'd adapted to their ecology, and he kept his. So yeah. there were differences in how they looked, but they were the same genetically. They, they could mate. If they, they could, if George wasn't so old. By the time they got them together, George unfortunately was more pipe and slippers than he was as your father. <laughs> So uh, he shuffled off this mortal coil, never knowing the touch of a female tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently he's um he's in Captain Cook's ledger. Oh really? Yeah. So he was very old. Very yeah, old. and they but do you're, live you're right. hundred years or something you, like that, right? Yeah, you're right to use that 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 metaphorical idea that actually this is like that. So if if that's correct and I've got the funny feeling it is, then this punctuated equilibrium driven by technology is unanchoring the moorings of the Western civilization from a cultural perspective. It actually isn't. I think this is a blip, right? But from a cultural perspective. And I would, what I would say is what we're actually seeing is not the enlightenment, but the endarkenment. 
And you then have to add other things to that for it to make sense. So, for example, we have something else we learn about called the Clash of the Argos. Right now, an Argo is any given language between what was historically a criminal or historic group. Now, gay men years ago had a language in Britain called Polari, which because it was a crime to be gay man, they would speak Polari. Yeah. Oh, nice to see you, Donny. Oh, yeah, you Donny Oldingvard, and you know, it's all that kind of stuff. Instead, instead of drawing, coded. instead of drawing a fish with their sandal, they draw a little penis. Like no, no? Like, like like Where the Christians. Well, the Christians. They... Oh, the Christians! Right, okay, that would be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Sorry, that's Spencer. true, the Argo thing, right? Yeah. So you imagine that the clash of the Argos is when language that is used between specific groups comes together with each group not understanding the language of the other and then imagine that we are suddenly as a species able to see the argo of doctors geographers historians archaeologists and anybody else we want to and misinterpret their words because we don't understand their argo okay so then you've got an unanchored civilization with a language that is in permanent turmoil okay like a like a tweaked out um creole or uh pigeon 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 just pigeon just this um really crazy uh, yeah yeah mad bird right okay. yeah. so that's so you've got you've got punctuated equilibrium you've got the clash of the argos so first of all the punctuated equilibrium ups, upsets our sense of balance we don't know where we are and the clash of argo of the argos upsets our language we can't speak and we can't communicate with each other in the way that we used to so that's the first thing. And then secondly, you've got communication techniques like Twitter and, and texting and all the stuff that comes with technology that do anything but teach us to listen. Yeah. So what you're seeing is the disruption of the senses of our humanity, which means that we suddenly feel completely isolated from each other and from everything. Yeah. Because what we're seeing is an enormous turmoil that would normally take 200 years yeah. being done in 50. So it's an interpretive fog of war. Yeah, it is. It's an interpretive fog of war, which is why narratives should be temporally driven and start as far back as possible to bring them up to as close as possible. Okay, well, uh, you're already, um, I guess you're you're uh, aiming your slingshot at Goliath's forehead there because the critical theorists have built a narrative uh, that encapsulates Western civilization through a, some call it Marxist, but like an impression, uh, oppression, victim power of oppression lens. Yeah. Power oppression lens. So, yeah, which is, I mean, it, it's a good vehicle for releasing energy to um, maximize resentment, to drive change. Um, mm -hmm. I don't find it good or joyous, right? I, I find like a lot of lack <laughs> in there. There is no joy. <laughs> These they, people don't do, do joy. They can't. Oh. They can't even do art. You know. Yeah, the only so joy weird. they get is malicious. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, if if you look at the the aesthetic of the Q or the queer, um, and I'm using mm. that the contemporary um, phrase on that that the kids are are picking up on, it's all this flash, mm. all this color, and all these weird words that they use. But there's just this lack of well, actual erotic creative force but there but there's a semblance yeah. of sexuality like like almost overcompensating for the lack of potency uh, yeah i think you're right but then that, but that's we're back to the 80 20 again because it's my belief that young people spend 80 percent of their life online and 20 percent of it off okay right in which case they're they're not creating reality they're creating avatars 
Yeah. Right now, okay. I've seen that. I've seen this most importantly demonstrated. I went to a wonderful art gallery recently uh, for an exhibition by a guy called Santiago, who makes the ex most extraordinary um, photographs from the Amazon. Brilliant it was. But alongside it was a Brazilian LGBTQ by hands, knees and bumps daisy people exhibition. Right. Yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it turns out the entire thing's based on Power Rangers. Oh, OK. I'm not like, kidding. I mean, they talk about sectional it warriors of yeah, yeah. all these different colors. Yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's utterly bizarre, but it's to be expected when they when they are when they have far less human contact than they do digital and they simply follow their noses to what they want to find rather than what the truth is. Okay. And they're uh, kind of recycling um, nostalgia on a loop kind of, they're kind of hearkening back well, to a shared heritage, it, which would be cartoons or media that they're reflecting. Yeah. Yeah, but they're doing it in isolation and therefore they're separated from the whole, which does nothing but make punctuated equilibrium and the clash of the Argos worse. Okay. But how how do we have how do we find this is this is the right wing the problem with the right wing that I'm seeing and the right wing has changed very very drastically over the last twenty and just the last five or ten years um, I yeah. don't think that they understood what happened and now a bunch of people who were liberal or thought they were left are now kind of in this camp and there's this plurality of voices and that pluralism we don't really want to give up pluralism we don't really want to impose a unitary unitary order on things or do mm. we. Uh, there's a balance now because we are kind of in this post-liberal um, world, uh, multicultural and, and perfidious. Like, I, I think that's interesting. It sort of derives from what you said earlier, but the idea that, that, that by the rise of a monolithic thinking structure, which is what we're seeing, the rise of a monolithic thinking structure, oh, well, um, yeah, as, yeah. As, as it's exposed for what it is, will lead to more pluralism, a lot less. Okay. Right. So, so the bigger they get, the noisier they get, and the more we shine a light on them, the more people will go, right, I'm having none of this. Cause the Overton window's busted, isn't it? Well, we gotta, we gotta dilate that Overton window, baby. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. We gotta do something with it. Definitely. So this but of course, model... you, when you talk about the right in America, that's different to the right over here. Yeah, absolutely. But there's still yeah. a looming specter of fascism that hovers over discourse, even though fascism is uh, an expired ideology, which I think people summon mm. when they think of, um, and this is an American frame of reference, but I do see it within the turf wars, um, the gender critical movement, where they get caught up on having anything to do with the fascists or the right wingers, right. Or the, the racists, I guess, any sort of purist, any sort of sol um, solidarity from the white people is really uh, no, no touch, no go there, but we still have to mm. find, even if it's beyond race, we still have to find a unifying, maybe not un uh, maybe not unitary, but a unifying cultural epic or narrative that can contain multitudes. And yes. Uh, as op opposed to that, we have this monolithic thinking structure from the American point of view that is being enshrined at every single l layer of culture from the government to the schools. And it's symbolized by this god awful flag that I think was a 4chan troll where you have the rainbow being intruded upon by t two races and then transition and then intersex stuff. And it's just, you know, it's just crammed yeah, into it's there. progress flag. So the progress flag, it looks diverse, but it's monolithic. That's, oh, that's the weird thing, right? The, yeah, so, so it's dressed up as pluralism, but it's intersectional, which is different. 
Yeah. So it's taking yeah, it's certain. taking the same it's taking this it's the same way with the difference between equity and equality is the same is is what's going on. It's the representation of diversity, but in actuality, it's uniformity. Mm, yes. And so one thing that we do when we try to teach people about this is to kind of show the lie, but we still have to build that build that other thing that positive structure well well the, well, the positive structure is it, the reason that we find it so complicated to do it is because the positive structure um has is 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 putting its boots on okay <laughs> That's it, you know there was a there was a um a couple of things i think there was a wonderful film called contact by joe with jodie foster yeah. i don't know whether you recall the film yeah with a movie star matthew mcconaughey yeah, yeah, yeah. The bongo playing nudist, right? And <laughs> I think he's running for Texas governor. Or... Oh, is he right? Okay, well, I, well, I better keep those photos. They'll be worth a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so in that, she's asked the question, which I thought was a fascinating question at the time, and of course, it was originally written by Carl Sagan. And the question was that if she met the aliens, what would the question be that she asked? And she said, "Well, I would ask, how did you survive this technological adolescence?" And I think that we are in a technological adolescence. And if you're looking for a mega narrative, yeah. i.e. a narrative that will come outside of this, the first thing you have to do is recognize that the power and oppression narratives are a lie. Well, that's a tall right? order. Well, it's a tall order, but it's only a tall order if you try to look at it as a monolith. If you tell one story that connects multiple multiple places within time. Right, let me give you one. That's probably, that's probably the easiest thing. I'll tell you a story, right? Oscar Wilde. Now you remember Oscar Wilde. I may be lying go. in the gutter, but I'm looking at the stars, right? So here's the story, right? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Oscar Wilde had um, a boyfriend called Bosie, who he loved very much. And his Bosie's father was the Marcus of Queensbury, who invented the rules for boxing, right? Right. And he 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 was fuming about this. So he, he got together with a mate of his and... and caused trouble for the Liberal Prime Minister who happened to have a rent boy in a room in London somewhere. And they ended up passing a law which did two things. Firstly, it raised the age of consent from 10 to 16. And secondly, it criminalised homosexual relationships of any kind. Right, now that was in 1890-something, okay? okay? So that was when gay men in Britain were criminalised properly. And it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, they, it was criminal before. It had been decriminalised again, you see. So it's like we're in a wave of it. Oh, really? Um, because... Yeah, we know it was criminal before. I think the last time people got hung for it, there was two of them hung for it, and Charles Dickens was there at the hanging. Okay. Fascinating. I wonder how much that influenced his writing and his understanding of the poverty of the time, because he was a real progressive. So so that happened to Oscar Wilde. All of a sudden, we're into the we're into the First World War. Right? Fourteen eighteen war in which we attempt to defeat obviously evil again this idea of evil this idea of totalitarianism yeah. and before you know it we then got sort of a few few years in between the wars and we're into the second world war where we see evil on a grand scale that we've never seen it before because we now have the ability to send pictures all around the world right that first vision that the american people or the british people got of the relief of belson for example or auschwitz yeah. this shocked us to our core shortly followed by that you had the revelations of the holodomor which was what happened in communist Russia, 
through the works of Soldier Donitsyn and other people who managed to get the story out. Yeah. Is it me or by 1960 has humanity taken an unbelievable bashing in the West? You know, that was that's these are traumatizing things culturally. Yeah. So then we'll go back to Britain, right? So that was a global issue. Move that back to Britain and what happened post that. In nineteen um sixty-three, Britain abolished the death penalty. That's when we abolished it, right? A week after it was abolished, two two serial killers called Myra Hindley and Ian Brady came to the courts and were given life imprisonment, and the public went bonkers because they'd killed children and sexually assaulted them, both her and him, and buried them on the moors. Now, that to British society at that time, was it was worse, which is a terrible thing, that he'd also done it to boys and that she was a woman. It was an absolute shattering of the idea of the 1950s idyll, you know, this sort of let's play cricket and have cream tea kind of British idea. It shattered everything, right? And then they began the homosexual, the, 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 the attempts to decriminalise homosexuality had started in 1957. Okay. So that proved a severe impediment because people couldn't separate out the fact that Brady was a psychopathic paedophile from gay people, right? Eventually, in 1967, gay people got their first decriminalisation. Right? Well, that wasn't started by the left. That was started by Winston Churchill. The left voted against it. Why did Churchill? What was that political strategy? Because Churchill was a... Was a, was a, was a, was a Churchill was a typical Tory, and he didn't like the fact that people were being blackmailed for being gay. Okay. Right? There was a film that came out made by a social commentator called Basil Dearden, and it's a brilliant film called Victim. And it was about these gay men that were being blackmailed. And that fundamentally changed the public's mind about it. And then we then had the Wolfenden Report. So for 10 years, we had the Wolfenden Report from 1957 to 67, and eventually decriminalization for anybody over 21. Then the fight began to get equality. Right after that, in the 1970s, we had an organization arrive called PI, which in America was NAMBLA. <laughs> okay here Ring we a go bell, right <laughs> so all of a sudden you've got these people have attached themselves to the movement and they were lauded by those on the left who want to have sex with children well it was too late before everybody realized what they were sound familiar benjamin it was too late before everybody realized what was going on these people had got themselves firmly embedded in it and it wasn't until 2006 that we put the last of them in prison really right right so at that time so we got the just in time for gender ideology to take over yeah huh? we had we had pie and then in 1980 you had butler and gail rubin invent invent queer theory in san francisco yeah and the first of the scholars began to move from america around the world to pros to, to promulgate this nonsense okay then we had aids hit wait hold so on hold on wait hold on slow, yeah. let's slow down just a little bit um yeah. just to i'm i'm sure that a lot of my audience knows at least a little bit about queer theory, but let's yeah. just encapsulate that. So what were they promulgating? Um, well, I can Butler? encapsulate it in one simple sentence, because what Judith Butler said in an interview with Owen Jones in 2021, it's on YouTube, was that queer theory is a break, breaking down the bound, breaking down all boundaries, but in particular, the boundary between adult and child. Why is that so important? Because they want to have sex with children. Um, but that's don't, that's only part of it, Benjamin. Right? What they want to do is they want to break down the child emotionally, psychologically, sexually, every way, in order that they can become who tells the child what to do, and they are then removed from their family, which means they can queer heteronormativity, which is everything else. So what they're about is the destruction of the family unit in Western civilization. Okay, that's queer theory. Okay, in a nutshell. As opposed, and and before we go into the AIDS epidemic, you said that decriminalization 
was followed by the fight for equality. Now, yeah, this is this is a bad place to go. But what's so great about equality? Um, what what's why is that needed? What does that mean to seek because equality? Right, because from from the perspective of gay men, yeah. right, the age of consent for straight people was sixteen. The age of consent for gay men was twenty one. Okay, so that that's 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 an inequality. Okay. So it would be it would be better to say to you that it was now was the fight the fight began to reduce inequality. Yeah, but going after age of consent isn't that kind of sus? <laughs> I mean, of all the things to go for, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just the age of consent. You couldn't you couldn't, for example, you couldn't leave your goods to the person that you'd been with for all your life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Domestic right. partnerships. So, so we, right. So what yeah. we were saying was, we are human. We are the same as you. Just give us the same rights. So we okay. want. We didn't want anything extra. That's why it was equality and not equity. Okay, so th th here's the perennial problem with the West. We begin by saying we want parity, and the only way to get that is to employ people who want more than parity, and then hope that the pendulum reaches parity, doesn't go overboard. Activism is populated by people who want more than equal. They want dominance, and they that perspective and that drive helps the movement. It pushes the movement forward. Mm -hmm. But then you have to get those people out right away or else they go yeah, on to yeah. the next thing, which is what That's we right. see cascading into the gender ideology stuff. Except this, time it, except this time it's happened quicker because of punctuated equilibrium. Okay. Right, so it's caught us off guard. Okay. Right, we've always done that. Right, you've got this, now shut up for a bit. Now we'll, get, now we'll do this, now shut up for a bit. Okay, right? yeah. What we've got now is I've got this, I want that tomorrow. Yeah, okay, yeah. What you got? So everything that's happened before is happening at times 50 speed. Okay. And there's no room to breathe, no room to slow down. And None. the And you can see this on, of all places, Twitter, when people just swap out the emoji for whatever's the next thing that they need to be on board with. The masks yeah. or the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, this yeah. flag, that flag, this flag, that flag. The which, pride, which is that progress fly, fl flag. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, why are we accepting Vile. this? Why is yeah, the yeah. State Department taking down the American flag and putting up that flag? What does that, well, really, that, yeah, what does that mean? That's, be, that's because it is, what it, it is what it appears to be. I mean, it's communist in track. It's what? Communism in drag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. It's communism in drag. You know, and it's it's what what you're seeing is is the left doing what it always does, which is parasitizing anything that they can to bring on their utopia, and it's being carried out by the elites in the in the in the in the you know establishment like universities and places like that. Yeah. But it's not you know it's the long march. Yeah. The well, now it's a now it's a full tilt. It's what, yeah. I mean, they're not just marching. It's somebody's turned the speed up by 20. Yeah. You know? Pave the slippery like, slope with the slip and slide bunch yeah, of latex. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah. It's less slippery slope than vertical drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's fascinating. So you get you yeah. get to the point where 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 you remember, this is only one narrative. This is only my narrative. Okay. If you were American, you would tell a different story. Okay. Right. But the whole point of me telling you this narrative is to say that eventually then we get to the 1980s and you've got a situation where AIDS appears in the early 80s and then that devastates people. Can you, right? can the world. You, it devastates um, the world. From an American perspective, this is all going through the lens of Reaganism and stuff. So how, when the Thatcherite um, Britain, how did, how did AIDS play? Can I, I get to kick my cat out of that? No worries. Please don't kick the cat. No, I mean out of the room. <laughs> All right. I don't. I don't kick the cat. I just okay. I eighty-six him. Hmm. So 
Uh, let me make a little marker. Uh, so what, how did the AIDS epidemic uh, play out in Britain without Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington to make a movie of it? Um, disbelief, mostly. I mean, it was, it was the gay community coming together that, that began the problem, uh, the solving of the problem, the same as in America. I mean, in America, it was, only, it was only when it began to affect people that weren't gay that the problems, that they sort of started to look at it. The CDC got involved from the beginning, but it was, they couldn't say anything about it because there was no way on God's earth that Reagan was going to fund anything with the word gay in it. Okay. It wasn't going to happen. So you had that problem. Over here, we had Margaret Thatcher, who just said, who just introduced Section 28, which meant teachers couldn't talk about being gay in school. Okay. Which wasn't introduced because of AIDS. It was introduced because of pie. Because um, they'd infiltrated the leftist organizations. Not the formula that describes a d diameter circumference no, thing. No, the pedophile the... information exchange, which is the British version of NAMBLA. Oh, okay. So Thatcher attacks that. Well, she and... didn't attack that. She did what she could to, to appease the right wing in her party. Oh, okay. And the general public, who, if they'd been given the option, would have stuck us back in the closet. Too much too soon. Yes. Could we just could we just pretend that you guys are just you do your thing. We just don't, we just do, yeah. Just, give us a minute. Let us take a breath. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know. So we still had a situation where gay people were were deeply hated, and pie didn't help because it made us all look like we were bloody child molesters. Yes. And that okay. was their aim was attach themselves to the movement. Well, that was the queer of the day. Yeah. Okay. So then, so Thatcher did what she what she could to appease the right because. If she had the power to do it and she was that bad, why didn't she just criminalize it again? It would have been easy to do, yeah. but she didn't. She held the line and said, you're not teaching it in school, but we'll leave you alone. Okay. Right? Because, that sounds reasonable. Because of what happened was, that, it, was that acceptable? It's reasonable. Okay. Yes. Right. All right. It was a reasonable thing to do. If you're looking at it from the point of view of how are we going to manage a society that since 1898 has been unbelievably traumatized. Okay. Yeah. On right? a number of different levels. Yeah. Changing yeah. sexual so, mores and yeah, pill the, the whole world. Yeah, okay. And the next thing you know, you then have what we had over here was the video nasties debacle, which was where people were frightened to death because kids were getting their hands on videos that had blood in them. Okay, you know, and videos were seized and burnt and all sorts of stuff. It was really quite sort of weird. Oh wow! And okay. they were all films that were so bad nobody would have ever seen them if they hadn't mentioned. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it, it, it was things like Attack of the Killer Apes, and it was it was meant to be a grueling. And there was what was there one one, one that was to do with dwarves and the, and the Nazis. And there was a scene in it where this girl was screaming, and it was about supposed to be this girl was being eaten by rats, and it was meant to be the goriest thing ever, and it was a terrible thing. And when they panned the camera around, it was four disgruntled-looking black guinea pigs sat on a woman's stomach covered in tomato <laughs> sauce. But if nobody ever mentioned the name of it, nobody would ever wanted to see it. So they gave these films notoriety. There, well, there was a moral panic around that. And that was the same time as the moral panic in, erupted in America about child abuse in day schools. Oh, the um, satanic panic and then the day school stuff. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the McMartin trial, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, right, so the, the social workers that were involved in the McMartin trial came to England and trained the English social workers who took the same polluted ideology through social work in Britain and caused the same problem. Okay, great. Right. So that's since, so from 1890, whatever it was, to, to 1980, it was just one stream of trauma, yeah. right? That everybody was going through, whether they liked it or not, on a global or on a British scale. Yeah. So tell me about power and oppression, because by the time we got to the 1980s, we had the computer chip, and in a few years, we had digital. You want to tell me that's about power and oppression? Or do you want to tell me that's about competency of the people who could maintain their equilibrium at a time of such great turmoil? Well, which I don't was know. it? 
Yeah, well, I right? mean, yeah. Yeah, but that's all we have to do, isn't it, Benjamin? It doesn't matter whether we know. We just have to make them think they're wrong. Okay, wait, hold on. So there's there's something in the idea of these moral panics that occur. Um, and this is one way that the um, the elite, I don't want to call them left-ish or liberal media. I don't know how to call them, but the elite media tries to control the narrative by, um, in my country, construing the right as always on the verge of a moral panic, which is... Um, Funny because they're always having their own moral panics. I mean, George Floyd riots, you know, and the, the, you know, but I, I guess it, and it might be a Protestant thing. It might be a Western thing where moral panics are a um, cultural equilibrium. It's kind of like a wave pool, but it's turned up too high. Right. And it's going back and forth and back and forth. And it's really, really rowdy. Um, but without some sort of, if we can take the panic out of it without some sort of moral authority, moral gravitas and then demands for moral behavior there's going to be no change other than just a dialing up and a dialing up and absolutely, then a dialing absolutely down right. of of, right. uh, of restraints I mean, I mean you're absolutely right i mean i'm not a religious man i understand that people in america are often more religious than people in in, in britain but i what, what on earth do we think was going to happen when we killed god when we you know when we left people with a faith faith-sized hole in their chest what do we think was going to happen well, they'll pick up on whatever the faith happens to be the, of the day. So I think there's there's an argument to be made for the fact that the vast majority of this is solvable by people being, by, uh, as, it's an educational problem. Okay. It's an educational problem, primarily. Now, for example, young people who get caught up in this very easy. I was out on Canal Street, which is the, one of the gay streets in Manchester, yeah, in Britain. It's one of the gay centres, holding court like I usually do, sat there with a glass of wine, you know, and there's half a dozen people around me and we're all having conversations. And my mate walked up. And he had a young girl with him of about 19 who was obviously binding her chest. So she was doing this trans non-binary thing. Yeah. And she sat down next to me and sat nothing and said nothing and just looked at me like I was, she'd never seen an old man before. <laughs> and I'm sat there talking away. I felt like Peter Ustinov in Logan's Run. All I needed was half a dozen cats, you know, and I'd have been all right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm smiling. And all of a sudden she, she jumped out and she grabbed me by the arm and she said, I'm non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> to which I said, oh, I said, how extraordinary. I said, male or female? And she said, female. <laughs> and it was gone. It was gone. You saw the look on her face. It was gone. It was gone. Was so gone? a lot of this is ephemeral. This, this belief system was shattered almost immediately in her mind okay. because she caught herself off guard. Yeah. It's an educational problem. It's not another type of problem. It's not a mental health crisis. Right. People keep saying it is. And I don't think it is. Okay. Right, I think that there's a huge mental health sales drive going on at the same time. A huge mental health what? Men mental health sales drive. Sales drive, packaged, yeah. prepackaged, pain. Packaged, prepackaged. Yeah. Here, here's your oppression. Which, well, it's power oppression, and you've got to have a victim status if you want to be taken seriously. Or get the special pills. Or get the special pills. Yeah, or the special treatment, or the likes on Facebook. You know, because yeah. pe people are squeezed down by by technology so you're squeezed down into a like or dislike world because you haven't got time to engage with everything that's flowing over you yeah so you go right oh god no no not that not that i'll read that later not that not that i'll read that later well the later never comes so everybody is constantly in a state of high altitude low resolution thinking okay not here which on is very, conversations we go deep hey not well, unlike you and i yeah who are you know We're attempting here. to toss a few things up the flagpole and see who salutes did you just call us tossers 
because I know that's British. Toss, I said toss things up. Okay, flag. I don't know. I just want to sure. I, toss is an American word, I think. Are you sure? Uh, Ameri- I think it's, isn't it Scottish? Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it, no, I know it's English, actually. Now you tosser? You tosser? That's you're to- yeah, saying. you're tosser. The, uh, the, the British word that the Americans most need to use, far more, Not is the bollocks. C word. Oh, bollocks. Okay, I thought you were going to go <laughs> the C word. No, I wasn't going to go with the C word. The Americans <laughs> don't like that at all. No, no. <laughs> So it's fascinating to me that if people are in high res, if they're in high altitude, low resolution thinking, they're all they're doing is categorizing their life. Okay. They're not actually living it. They're living their cat. Their life as third party. Okay. Right. So they're categorizing their life, and the saddest and the most worrying thing about that is if they haven't been given, told, or introduced to the idea of low, uh, low altitude, high resolution thinking, they can't love. And that's heartbreaking. Okay. That's heartbreaking. So, I, you say introduce the idea, but I would say be exposed to the experience. But how do you get them to? Uh, how do you lower uh, the ev- ev- elevation and raise the definition? Tell a better story. Tell a better story. Once upon a time, Oscar Wilde. Yeah, yeah. And then AIDS. and the reason that we're a mess is because of that. Okay. There's your plateau from yeah. Oscar Wilde to us. Okay. Everything that happened in between, right, pick a bit. Which bit do you want to cover first? And once they start to do that, so you get them to explore that, what I would call that narrative, and you're off, right? So the point being is that in order to get away from the power and oppression that you mentioned earlier on, yes. and to be able to look at a narrative that you can construct outside of that, you've got to see the power and oppression as a separate narrative amongst many okay. that are temporally driven. So they're, yep. Okay. In this... which case, you're standing above all of it looking. Okay. Like yep. that guy in that painting, that romantic painting. There's some sort of like fractal grounding going on. That's it's, where... Well, it's it's. I think it's really interesting. The way that I put it with warrior teachers is that if you go back to the priestly classes from years ago, knowledge is power. So they had the knowledge, they had the power, they kept it. They wouldn't let everybody know it. We then had the Gutenberg Press came along, yeah. right? And wisdom became power because we had mass, mass availability. Took years, but we got mass availability. Well, if knowledge is power was the beginning, wisdom is power was the second. We've now got mass accessibility. So it's blank is power. What's the blank? Uh, Exposure, um, influence. Interesting. um, uh, Stimulation, um, engagement, I I guess, would be uh, the term used on the Internet. It's interesting because you you answer in the same way as everybody else does, which is they see it from the outside as opposed to the individual. The answer is curiosity well curiosity is power because if if you're curious enough you can cope with the ambiguity caused by the punctuated equilibrium and the clash of the argos yeah that's the new narrative well i mean that's my narrative well not i mean that's my applied um narrative i guess Mm. is to always be asking questions um and to put um being right or being Mm. agreed with way down the list of things yeah so but engagement is basically how one gets involved in this stuff so engagement i guess you were saying outside looking in inside looking out there's there's a multiple different things but i think curiosity is the best one of the best counters to um the activist culture or the demand to be right culture or the um trans women or women kind of thing you know yeah, like yeah, the, these yeah. uh this distillation into born in the wrong thing. body born in the wrong body all these different phrases but at the same time when there's a massive moral panic about ukraine or 
or COVID, mm. there's no room to be curious. And that's what, one thing that I've seen that the activists use to gain power is they they boil the water, they, they turn up the heat, um, they turn up the urgency rhetorically that's, first. Like, we need to change yeah, things of right now, right now, right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, that they use propaganda because what they want to do is to force people to do high resolution, low altitude thinking, which means they think everything's so desperate they can't do anything about it. Okay, so propaganda. So in essence, using the that only thing, the only thing. Sorry, the, what did you say, Benjamin? I'm sorry. I, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting oh, you so much. But so propaganda, for, you right. mean specifically as a um, as a way to elevate the the perspective and uh, de elevate the detail. Propaganda yes. specifically as they complicate the simple. And they simplify the complicated. That's their reason to exist. Okay. Queering. Okay. Black is white, white is black. Yeah. Yeah. Up is down. Everything's gray. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's when in fact everything is gray. Yeah. But they don't want you to see gray. They only want you to see black and white. Power or oppression. Yeah. And how does one get a taste, I guess, curiosity, get, getting people a taste of curiosity um, and playfulness, I think is another uh, term. Um, but it's really hard to be playful when the world's ending or, or even, I mean, even from the side that I kind of agree with more than disagree with the, the women's rights push against the trans rights encroachment. Um, there's really, I get in, I have gotten in trouble and I've kind of been relegated to being outside of that community for good now because I play. Because I, I refuse to not be in playful mode. You know, I take the things that are serious seriously. But, like, even just engaging on an activist, even if you are on the good side of things, you, you kind of lose touch with curiosity. You lose touch with playfulness. Or there's a tendency to do that. Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with you. But I think, you know, the, the, whole, the whole reason, my whole mantra behind doing the warrior teacher program in the winning mindset is, is you need to be having one-to-one -one conversations, not shouting at people on Twitter. You know, we've got to remember when it comes to it at the end of the day, that the only thing that you can control, Ben, and the only thing I can control is ourselves. <laughs> you can control yourself? That's it. Oh. I'm, I'm in my late 50s, trust me. I, mentally, I control myself. The rest of my body, I can't speak for. <laughs> As I, as I always say, I get up these days and I think, I don't think, what am I going to do today? I think, what's going to stop working today? <laughs> I'm right behind you, buddy. You know, <laughs> you know, but that idea of the only thing that you can, can actually control is you. Yeah. Well, you can influence, but you can only influence on a small scale. So why are you spending so much time thinking about things that you've got no way of influencing? Stop it. Right? <sighs> so in essence, you've got to disengage from the culture war hmm. to train to be a better warrior. Okay. All right. Take a That's break, work out with your sword and your shield, your curiosity. Yes. This is yes. like, a, there's a Pauline biblical metaphor here about the sword and the shield and the faith and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. Something uh, yeah, like that. That, yeah, that, yeah, there is. I mean, I mean the, the metaphors never end for all this crap. No, it's you know, and it's And what I think is also extraordinary that for the first time, we've now got over a hundred years to look back and see what we were like as creatures. Right, so here's an well, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So here's yeah. an interesting thing for you. I had some of the younglings around the other night. And they said, they'll ring up and they'll go, will you cook us a roast on a Sunday? I'll go, right, okay. And they both came round and they're sat on the couch, these two lads. All right, let's watch a film. I said, well, what do you want to watch? Oh, uh, something old. I said, right, okay, I'll pick something old. So I put on Rebecca, which is a fantastic Hitchcock film from 1940. Oh, okay. Um, it's probably one of my favourite films of all time. Lawrence Olivier's in it. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, it was directed by Hitchcock. So I stuck it on, and they love it. They, they, they all love Rebecca. They always do, because it's so well done, and the script's stunning, right? But the speech patterns are fast. 
and I had to put the subtitles on for him. They're, so they're speaking American English in the film? Yeah. But too and fast for the British yes. lads to... Yes. Really? Huh. Yeah. Was it full of alliteration right. or some sort of Shakespearean flourish no, or something? Or it was just standard. Okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, I thought that was fascinating. Right? And then also, what they said to me after, they, they said, why don't people speak like that anymore? Well, because we've, we've learned not to. Right? That's the worry, is that we've learned not to. That actually our ability to alliterate has been obliterated. And part of that obliteration is because we live in a world of hyperbole. Right? So if I say to you, I bought a t-shirt today, it was amazing. Right? Since when is a t-shirt amazing? The Grand Canyon, that's amazing. The fact that we've been to space, that's amazing. A t-shirt is mediocre at best. Right? <laughs> so everything's become amazing. Well, what, that's part of the advent of the internet was when we, when we had the internet started in the 1950s, when, when Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web, that became the advertising billboards along the side of the internet. Yeah. Right? And essentially what happened was that people started to compete for attention. Well, you can't get people's attention just by going, excuse me, this product's good. Yeah. You know, you've got to start shouting and making everything far more emotionally charged than it is. So you've got this period of emotionalization since about 1980 to now, which has only exacerbated the wounds that everybody had prior to 1980 as a society. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's no chance to heal from the uh, historical uh, post-traumatic stress because everything is now dialed up on a rhetorical level by advertising. Well, f well, first off, yes, I, yes, what you say is, I think, technically right, although I wouldn't use the per term post-traumatic stress because I think that people have to recognize that that's life generally. You know, when you talk about the people who, who liberated Belson or who were in Belson, these are people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, not kids that don't get their own way and then stick it in their profile because they think it's smart. Okay. You know, yeah. so that's back to this mental health sales drive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you look at, if you look at the development, for example, and here's an American story for you. If you look at the development of advertising and marketing and everything that comes with it by um, Bernays, um, Freud's son-in-law. Yeah. Who wrote, who wrote a book called Propaganda. Okay. Yeah. And he was the godfather, really. Was and he... that influenced, that influenced Goebbels. Was he critical of it or was he just laying no, out the program? No, he invented it. Oh. He invented okay. it effectively. And so he was the first person to ever use emotionalized methods of selling. Lifestyle, you know, I want to be. And he stuck models on the catwalk with cigarettes who were female and female smoking went up a phenomenally in the space of weeks. Yeah. So he uncovered something that allowed them to manipulate people's minds. And he called, he called the people that did it um, manufacturers of consent. Yeah, great. Right. So then, yeah. then Chomsky picked it up in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Byrne is Byrne said that the one arena it should never, ever get anywhere near was education. And we've done nothing but educate people that way since the 1960s. Yeah. Well, in our failed to inoculate them. We have failed to inoculate them against behaviorism. Uh, behaviorism being, is that the Pavlovian thing? Um, yes. Pavlov's okay. dogs. Yeah. Which is, I'm talking from a teaching perspective now. Yes. So here's a clash of Argos, right? I'm talking about it purely from a teaching perspective. As a teacher, you are either by nature a behaviorist, which is Pavlov's dogs, or you're a humanist. And not in the classic humanist sense, but humanist educationally, which would be you'd go with your kids to, you know, to the zoo and you'd say, right, I'll be by the ice cream van, go and see what you want. I'll be here when you're finished. And they go off and explore for themselves. Well, that's a humanist way of learning. Oh. That's not Pavlov's dogs. Okay. So as an educator, you have to have that initial seed or what they call an orientation, your orientation to learning. And my orientation to learning is humanist. What we've had for the past 80 years is a humanist orientation that is behaviorist.
nudge nudge d- 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 tell me more about that what do you mean by that so um uh, wait uh, so back to the zoo the humanist says go forth and don't get eaten by the lion the behaviorist says what um stay where you are a lion's gonna eat you i'll tell you what it's like okay yeah we'll, we'll read the plaques together yeah yeah and i will tell i will through a didactic I will through, yeah yeah it's very didactic yeah okay all right yeah, right so that so those are the two sides of education that you have that's that's available to us so to speak they split them down like they do everything else so you've had that going on as well which is just another addition to the things that have gone wrong i mean I, i've got lots of psychologists on my course and i say to them you know we all have to put our hand up and say we're all bloody responsible for this because we are yeah, yeah you know we are i mean the fact that we were sideswiped by technology doesn't mean that now as i was saying we can look back and see how we are as humans which is why i told you the story about rebecca and we can see what we've done and the patterns we do it in a way that we've never been able to do before and yet we're not doing it why okay because there's somebody saying we don't have an interest in doing that well i mean it's just a different mode of being you would have to kind of slow down and reorient yourself and that's possible but do you want to promulgate humanist interaction in the world in the education sense through a behavioralist or a humanist um right okay how do you teach well, that, this that, that's, right so so what i'm talking about is the seed you either believe in things from a humanist perspective in terms of teaching or behaviorist yep so think about it as my orientation i'm going to go that way once i go that way i'll use both behaviorist and humanist tactics to teach okay so if the four-year-old puts his hand into the fire or is about to I'm going to go smack, get, go on, move quick because you're going to get hurt. Oh, that's pure Pavlov's dogs. Don't go near the fire, you'll get hurt. Okay. Right? Or I might, or, or, or I would take them to the zoo and let them explore for themselves. So what you use in terms of tactics is not the same as where your orientation is, where you're coming from in the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Right? So the problem is the rise of behaviorism in education doesn't help either. Okay. So, and that's also now being used by governments, of course, in nudge units. Well, yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, yeah. they want more. Um, yeah, so in behavioralism, you're conditioning a response to stimulus or you are, you're injecting knowledge and authority between experience and the subject, right? You're, what you're injecting you're in, them. Yes. What, what you're using is a purely emotional response generally. So you'd say to somebody, right, learn that. You don't want to look like an idiot, do you? Okay. And they'd, they'd learn out of fear. Okay. Right. Now that might be appropriate. You know, if you do this with this electrical item, you are going to be hurt badly. So let me tell you this. You learn this or you get hurt. Okay. All right. Okay. I've got it. I'll learn it. Right. Now that's fine. That's perfectly valid. It's not a moral. There's no moral tone here. Yep. Right. Now, on the other hand, you might say, right. So I've told you the story today. I want you to go and have a look at what the Moore's murders were about. Come back to me in a couple of days. Let me know what you found out. Pure humanist. Okay. Um, Did you already talk about the Moore's murders? You're yeah, when I so said about the two here. that killed the children, do you remember? Yeah. I was joking. I didn't say, but I didn't mean go and do it. I was giving that as an example. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, so it could be anything. You could say, "Did you know that Oscar Wilde was, you know, put in red in jail?" And they'll go, "No." We'll go and find out about it and come back and tell me. But we're so used to being spoon-fed that we've lost that capacity. Well, I mean, rabbit holes exist. People go down rabbit holes. I mean, that's why I 
I want to push back a little bit because the explosion of independent media channels like mine, Eliza Mondegreen, um, just yeah. all these brilliant writers and researchers and independent thinkers such as yourself and your cohort. There's plenty of people who are doing a lot of research and, and digging up information and, and providing that service constantly. Well, I that's think not that, a rabbit that's, hole. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that that itch to be curious and then the capacity to organize information and provide it to others is is vital. It's vital. Right? It's great. And there's a lot of right? great people. It's vital doing because in a world where we are constantly bombarded with information from the minute we get up, which is not knowledge, by the way, that's two separate things, where we're constantly bombarded by information, yeah. we all become students and we all become teachers. Yeah. It's an educational problem. Okay. So um, I once I wrote a kind of not quite a science fiction book, but kind of science fiction book about this guy who. Um, makes this video game. He wants to create artificial consciousness, not intelligence, but consciousness. And he figures out that if he can get a computer or like the server or this program to tell stories, convincing stories, then he would have something. He would have the ability to communicate between the machine and the human. And his, uh, his, his kind of the way that he structured it is that he's going to make a video game where you start as a gamer and then you become a pro gamer and then you become a programmer like the whole game is to set you up to create your own world right to become yeah. a god basically mm -hmm. um and so in a certain respect uh, maybe it's deist instead of humanist um at this point or even kind of miltonian what we're trying to inspire in people is to be masters of their own universe and at the same time not have the kind of hubristic um dependency on making an impact or changing the world or being swept right. up in some sort of superhuman narrative where yeah, they lose the their inherit the earth yeah so how do you you can't you, get away from the religious connotations can how you? do you provide piety then how do you communicate humility right okay so first of all i think we have to give religion it's we've got to pay religion it's due right, right. there's are you familiar with ricky gervais yeah yeah he's uh right there's a there's a scandal He's, he's, he's fantastic, right? He was being interviewed. He's another bearded, glassy bloke, isn't he? Right? I should have him on. Right, so he was being interviewed by somebody in America, and the guy in America was asking about religion. And what he said was the, the battle between religion and science, which I don't see as a battle at all. I think religion was proto-science. But what? So what he does is he says, if you were to take all the scientific books that have ever been discovered, all the things that we know, and destroy them all, in a thousand years they'd be back because it's science, right? And he's right about that, because you follow the evidence. He's right about that. He said, but if you were to destroy the, every holy book, the Bible, the Quran, whatever it may be, he said that wouldn't come back. And he's wrong about that. Yeah, I don't think Right, that's... because he's wrong about that, because within the Bible and the Quran and every other book that is ancient is the collective wisdom and the collective imagery of humanity, which is now available to us on the internet in multiple facets and requires the same types of interpretation. So while in our lives, in our lifetime, my lifetime, certainly, but my grandmother's certainly her lifetime, what we were seeing was science's ability to conquer and tame the world. What we now need to do is to recognize that it is religion who actually tamed us to begin with. Oh, well, yeah. Well, it turns right? the conquered so, world into a garden. Yeah. So what, what we what we have to do, I think, as individuals is to recognize is to recognize that we need to be masters of our own universe, but the universe is in us, it's not outside, it's not external. So we've got to add, we've got to make people we've got to call for people to be better, to be better. 
to be better oh, people. And, do better? And I think, yeah, to be better, to do okay. better, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. When you, what you say is, how do you get them to do that? What's the question is, how do you get them to do that? Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't take much to inspire. All you have to do to inspire is to be truthful with them and truthful about who you are, which is why this will only happen one person at a time. And what's fascinating is that here's you and I, I've been watching you since you started, right? But here's you and I chatting. If somebody told me this was going to happen two years ago, I would never have believed them. Really? But yeah, I could be in a room with you and I could be in a room with people that have been on trigonometry or Jordan Peterson or any number of people. And all of us came to similar, similar conclusions without meeting anybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a human truth in what we're doing, and that is addictive. Oh, okay. Because it's exciting, and it's important, and it and it allows you to center yourself. And that need to feel comfortable in your own skin and feel centered in society is absolutely fundamental to human development. So all we have to do is inspire it, and they'll do the rest. And how how does that over the course of your life? Um, you say you're 50 now, so you've probably had to learn a few lessons over, over the course um, of your life. But now you're probably entering into, and I mean this respectfully, kind of like an elder position among your uh, kind of your social uh, group, right? And you say well, I think I mean I'm taking... I'm 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 nearly 60 actually. I'm 58. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I'm, thankfully I look good for it. Yeah. <laughs> trying to put myself out there with all the younger guys no, it's, um, uh, yeah I do have I mean bear in mind that, that my generation are mostly dead when it comes to gay people so there's very few of me because hmm. they took them right? of... so we've got we've got an entire generation of gay men missing and I've said it before and I'll say it again I think that if the gay men my age were here this wouldn't be happening why this, this queer out because they would never have stood for it never have stood for it for a minute but there's not enough of us to make any noise anymore because we lost so many right well, what was what why if you guys grew up in this time would you not just be as innocuous or just swept up into it so what was it about growing up in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s well, yeah you, well, well first of all a lot of most people my age were born a criminal and we knew what it was like to be hated and hunted. So we had difficulties growing up and fitting into society that these young people have no idea about at all. Hmm. And I think it was through that that difficulty and that hardship that we found our character. We found our character. Okay. I think that's part of it is about so it's about developing character, it's about develop, you know, it's about how can I how can I achieve, how can I be the best I want to be, how can I get what I want from life, and how can I do so? in a way that is joyous and fun and, you know, not all the time, you know, but you can't, it, it's, it, we've had this problem with kids where we, we've coddled them to such an extent that we've damaged them. So when I showed some of the younglings judgment in Nuremberg and they saw the footage from the camps for the first time, they'd never seen it. And they're 19 years old. Yeah. You're like, how could, sorry, did they teach you this at school? No. But they, they, so they're we, more than capable of calling everybody a Nazi that they disagree with. Absolutely right. <laughs> so you can be a Nazi, but you can't know what it is because it'll upset you and you'll need a trigger warning. You yeah. know, if they're putting trigger warnings on Wuthering Heights or if they're editing the books of Roald Dow, what do you think they're doing when it comes to the really grubby stuff? The real, you know, the, the serious dark nastiness at the heart of the human soul. Hmm. They're not telling them. They're shielding them from it. And to shield people from that kind of nastiness means you flatten their existence. It's the equity. It's intellectual and educational equity. Hmm. So it flattens everything. 
Yeah. Right. Because no highs and no lows. Yeah. Well, not necessarily flatten. Uh, I would use a, uh, this is a technical term. It's called compression. It happens to audio files where you bring up the, you, you, you squash the audio by making everything basically the same volume or you try to. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so everything is like really just crunched out. It's just crunched up. Yeah. Have you seen them um, just out of interest? Everything everywhere all at once? Not yet. No, but I get. Oh, God. Bet, come oh. on. I'll get it. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'll see it. <laughs> It's it's the it's okay. the most anti queer film I've ever seen. Oh, interesting! And all the all the queer writers were going, "This is a wonderfully queer film. It's all about queer." It's not at all. It's anti equity as a film. Okay. It's completely anti equity. It's brilliant and very clever, but it'll need multiple viewings. Okay. Well, I look forward to it. I love I love a good multiple viewing movie. I had a thought, but you've brought so much to the table. And uh, what were you, you were saying about, so being a role model, um, being an elder, and I've, I've spoken with this uh, in terms of Gen X, I think you're probably mid-Gen X, I'm, I'm tail end of Gen X. No, um, I'm, I'm actually a boomer. You're technically a boomer. Last year, last year of the boomers, yeah. Oh, okay, wow, okay. So you're a cuspy guy. Um, and you're saying that the... Uh, yeah, you were saying that the hardships gave you guys character and then AIDS kind of drained your uh, your cohort. Um, mm. are, are you suggesting bringing back bullying or? No, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that when it comes to um, uh, young people and making them able to cope in the world and to deal with things, we need a lot less parent and a lot more adult. And that's, that's more of a, a humanist um, frame. Ad, ad, treating people as adults and making people grow up is as profoundly humanist as it gets. Okay. And what about people who act like ch children online and demand and throw tantrums all the time? What's your? Well, you'll see. We've we've always had them. Okay. Right. But so so I mean, we have to bring back to a certain degree. We've got to bring back shame. Okay. You know, because when you've got a bloke in a dress in a workplace performing a fetish, everybody is surrounded by them as to got, is agreeing to that fetish without consent. Or celebrating it. Or celebrating it. Or being told to celebrate it. Yeah. So we have to bring back shame. But it's also a matter of saying to people, you know, if you want to spend your time emptying your emotional bowels in public, you feel free. But it's not a good thing to do. We've got to get the emotionalism out of the, out of the culture and the societal framework. Hmm. How does how does how does one bring back shame? And this is tied to that moral panic quandary. Well, you send people to Coventry, the convent, or to Coventry. No, Coventry. Is that have you ever heard this term? Where they they have to go into a field and they just like make no, no. butter all day long? <laughs> that sounds terribly Puritan. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, I, this may again. This may be. A, this may be a British saying. I think it probably is. Um, what you do is in social groups as you build your groups of people that are not having it, which is what I'm doing. Yeah. Then you, the other people that are around you will either will either begin to understand or will fall off, right? And if they misbehave, you set. We do what we call is send them to Coventry, which is nobody will speak to them. Nobody will interact with them at all okay. until they buck up. Okay. So it's so a, it's using social social opprobrium, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's kind of a cancel culture, but in in relief, kind of just a negative. Yeah, no, we're not going to destroy it, it, you, but we don't want anything to do with you until you. No, no. Well, we're we're saying that there's something you need to learn, and we're trying to tell you there's something you need to learn, yeah. and you won't talk to us properly. So okay. stop being emotional. Calm down and have the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Because right? people can't have a conversation without getting emotional. 
I said to somebody on the training the other week, what do you think about this theory? Not that this was another type of training I was doing. And this woman said, I feel, and she went on for about 30 seconds. And I said, stop. I said, I asked you what you think. Yeah. And she went quiet for about three seconds. And she looked at me and she said, dear God, Barry, she said, I can't remember the last time I had a thought. What? Wow. What? You know, it's like, wow, they are living, surfing an emotional wave yeah. that okay. any time can come out. So that's a good um, uh, chance to ask you a question that stumps a lot of people whenever I ask it. Um, what is critical thinking? Um, crit critical thinking is the ability to parse complex subjects across topics with um, with a temporal anchor. Hmm. So can we give an example? How do you think critically about, uh, I guess, the gender issue? Have we thought critically this episode about queer theory? Um, um, I, I would say that, I mean, that what you're saying there is how do you think critically about queer theory, which is a valid question, but it's unanswerable because queer theory is so vast. You're taking a high altitude uh, low resolution look okay. so i so the first thing i do is drag you down and i'd say well queer theory says we need to break down the boundaries between adult and child so tell me what what uh, let's think critically about that do you think that's a problem and if so why well i don't like the idea that boundaries are broken down for children why what boundaries don't you want broken well i don't but they certainly shouldn't be having sex at you right okay so let's go to that one so let's stick with that for a minute um What's been happening through history? Because the age of consent used to be 10 and it's now... Get it? 16 to 21, yeah. So you, you take them from that, yeah. what is queer, to a very specific point. Now, if it's the opposite that's happening, they go, well, people used to be able to have sex when they were 12. And you go, yeah, but then you put them back up. Yeah, but since then, we've learned. So you flip whatever they're saying, and that's how you think critically in a time of punctuated equilibrium and the clash of the Argos. Okay. The ability to translate um, that need, the frame of reference, in order to come to some sort of common consistent... Con yeah, on, on multiple levels, but... across multiple subjects, yeah. through time. Okay. Well, what do you think about the statement, gender is a social construct? Uh, well, first off, again, you're doing it again. Is that is that is that that's <laughs> a propaganda term? Then okay, so do, that, do that you, would be do you mean gender in Britain or gender in America? Oh well, um, I'm, I'm doing the talk over thing again. I have to stop no. doing that because I chat too much. No, that's great. That's great. Um, gender. Do you guys have different genders than uh, we do? Gen gender doesn't mean anything in Britain. It's an American term. We've we, it's been adopted. Sex is what we talk about. It's only because you didn't want to talk about sex. Okay. <laughs> But, yeah, it's genderous. Right, so, okay. So let me tell you what I think. This is only my view, okay? It's not held by all my GC friends, and it's certainly not held by some of our Radfem friends. I think that there is sex, which is what you are, and that's immutable and binary. And then there, I think there are sex roles that you take up, some of which you can't escape. For example, breastfeeding, right? Okay, or whatever it may be. For men, it might be something else, like obviously inseminating with sperm is something you can't escape. That's a sex role. And then you have gender, which are the socialized expectations of you based on your masculinity and your femininity, not whether you're male or female. But once you go round, right, once you go from those basic things right the way around, what you end up with is an overarching parent that tells you how you should behave. Wait, how do you, how do you? What do you mean? Well, because gender is authoritarian by nature. 
British, British, we're in Britain now. Gender is socially constructed and it is authoritarian and totalitarian. Totalitarian. Okay. It, well, it has to be. Women do this. 1950s America. Women do this. Men do that. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's very authoritarian and very totalitarian in idea. Okay. So when you get round to it, whichever way you want to talk about it, masculine or feminine, gender, it's all the same thing, which is a parent telling you how you should behave. And you don't think that society functions good when there's uh, expectations that are sexed? Um, well, I don't think there should be expectations that are sexed. However, I don't think we should be in a situation where we're decrying people who do. And I don't think we should be in a situation where we're saying, well, because you've got 2.2 kids and you've got, you know, and you believe this and you believe that and do this and do that, there's something wrong with you. I mean, that's insane. We're doing the same as the queer theorists if we're doing that. Okay. Because remember that the idea of heteronormativity, which is how the queers see everything else, is a mimetic container that they can put anything they want to in it so they can decry it yeah. until eventually it's supposed to disappear. Well, it's not going to because it costs where we are. But it's... Well, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier on about how do you impose a structure on a structuralist society that has room for pluralism in it? How do you, how do you, how do you have shame without expectations, social expectations, authoritarian, totalitarian expectations? How do you, well, how do you because cause people to behave in a certain way that's good for society? If you don't say, you know, women are generally better suited to this behavior and, and men should understand that women are going to process these sorts of stimuli generally this way. And so you need to wise up bucko if you want to get close to a woman, because she's probably going to want certain things and have a different value than you. And, and then say to women, you know, and this is, this is the thing that you're not supposed to say. So I'm sorry to go there. This is just a thought mm. experiment. I'm not saying this, but women, if you understand the erotic power that your body has over men, and then that you can actually shape their attention by presenting yourself in certain ways, you should at least be aware that men are going to react to the stimulus of the human female. So maybe if you had some sort of restraint and modesty, you would you would right. direct their attention in a different way. And that's the same and, and then you scale that if you take that away, then you have there's no reason for a man not to wear a dress. Like right, okay. th that's authoritarian right. to say that a man shouldn't wear a dress. A man should be right. able to do whatever he wants. Right, okay. First off, so what we've got there from what you've just told me and reading from what you've just said is that you're talking about gender. You're not talking about male or female. Right? That's the first thing. Okay. Secondly, um, young gay men do the same thing. So it's got nothing to do with being female. Right? Well, and so why do they do the same thing? What you're talking about is gendered behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. What 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 gender identity ideology seeks to do is to impose gendered identity behaviors on everyone. But they are gendered identity behaviors that you can pick. Yeah. whether you want to be masculine or feminine and it's got nothing to do with being a man or a woman being male or female right yeah. it's, it's got nothing to do with being male and female at all it's a construct yep that's the first thing um secondly in order for it to be able to do that it this ha then has to enforce it so you, it's not something that should happen on a societal level it should happen on an individual and a community level and it should like everything else be reined in by its successes what we have a problem with the reining in of its successes because we're stuck in punctuated equilibrium in the clash of the Argos. Yeah. That's why it's happening. Okay, but 
I mean, to regain equilibrium with gender ideology, you can go mm. through and criticize the concept of gender and say it doesn't exist or assault society as oppressive. And you do this whole patriarchy oppression thing and try mm. to disrupt and dismantle those expectations. But I'm just saying you brought up the... Uh, example of gay men having feminine behaviors. Why do they have those feminine behaviors? Because they kind of want male attention, right? <laughs> By definition. Well, no, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not how it works at all. Right. That's not, I mean, you'll get gay men who are fem When I first came out years ago, I was a campus Christmas. Well, hello. <laughs> you know, all that kind of like yeah. something out of one of those films from the 1960s, like yeah. Kenneth Williams or something, you know, and why? Oh, yeah, what was that look. signal about? That was a signal. That you're sending. Yeah, and I was signaling that I was gay because I'd finally come out the closet, right? Yeah. So that was a signal, but that was the only gay I knew because that was the only type of thing I'd ever seen on TV. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Right? So there was an element of that. But if you know, if you don't think that people are looking for muscly men that are very masculine, then you live in a cloak. No. You know, so I'm, so this I'm, idea of gender is immaterial. Yeah. That's the point I'm making. It's it doesn't matter, right? That so right? It doesn't matter. And normally, right, normally the the excesses of it we have we are able to we are able to rub the edges off and we're able to keep an equilibrium because we had one for a while it was we were doing really well right for a while we had that equilibrium what we now have is a situation where we have to move faster at keeping the equilibrium in order to put up with what's happening in the maloo that's the bit we haven't got right so okay. we it's right and the only way you're going to do that is the 31155 thing so i tell you Right. So let's say, for example, that you're that you're a young person who's got caught in all this business. Right. Yeah. Just for a moment. OK. And we sit and have a conversation. And after you ask a lot of questions, then you go, do you know what? It doesn't seem to make any sense to me, to me at all. Right. It doesn't. Suddenly I understand. Yeah. That usually takes me about an hour with an individual. Yeah. Right. I don't understand. At which point they'll then go bloody hell. And if allowed to, because it feels like they've been conned and they almost like they've had a bad meal at a restaurant. Right. They'll tell three, who will tell 11, who will tell 55. Oh, okay. That's how we do it. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't, I just, I, I have a contention with uh, the assertion that gender is immaterial because I think it guides, it's guideposts, it's stereotypes, it's a heuristic for social behavior and the mixing of the sexuals. Uh, the, the, the sexual dimorphism of our species doesn't <clears throat> stop at our necks. It actually... The, there is a brain sex. There is a way that male and females, like neurology, their value system, and that's sculpted by well, well, millions yeah, of years of evolution. That's social. That's not you know neurologically there there are more that there are more that that that, um, that bring us together, and there's more sameness yes. in the human brain between the sexes than there is difference. You know, if you're going to talk about arguing at either ends of the bell chart, then there's no point in having the conversation. You know, the truth of the matter is mm -hmm. that you and I do this, and we, we you know we, we we sit and talk, and and I get on and rant about whatever happens to be the thing of the day. Yeah. But the vast majority of people in the world don't give a toss about this. They don't even know it's happening. Right. So so whatever happens at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're trying to deal with providing a narrative and a story that yeah. will enable the 80 percent to follow it. And that yes. story is do what you want. Right. Do what you want in terms of if you want to be a, a working mum and a working dad or the dad wants to stay home and the mum wants to stay home. We know that you can do that. And it doesn't matter if you do. And there should be no edict from other side from either side to say whether you will or whether you want. You won't mind your own damn business. Oh, right. I mean now. Yeah. Okay, now, right? So that's the first thing, right? Then, then what you've got to worry about is what happens to with people who encroach over that, 
Well, I'm, well they, they only encroach over that if they then start to do something that is generally socially unacceptable. Now, in the Western world, we have a fairly good state of what's socially acceptable and what's not, and that's gradually breaking down. That's half the problem. But that might not be the same as it would be in the Middle East or in America or in Africa. Mm -hmm. Right? So what you're talking about is this idea of that we as individuals have to mirror what we think a good human is and trust other people to tell us when we're getting it wrong. Yeah. It's an individual problem. It's not a mass problem. That that conflicts so much with do what you want, though. And, well, two points. One, people who want to be left alone will always be steamrolled by people who want power. That's just mm -hmm. going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And then, two, do what you want doesn't scale. It, it scales into madness. This is what we're li we're living through the era of do what you want. The boomers and us Gen Xers have that, embraced that. Hang on, that's right. And the so, kids don't, yeah, don't, the kids don't even know what they want anymore because they're just told to right. do what they want. Well, I see now. I see. There's what, no what, expectations. There's no authority. We need a father and a mother. We need a paternal and a maternal force to to mold the next generation. You can't just yeah, like human. You can't drop human beings into postmodern hellscape and say do whatever you want. It's no, meaningless. I agree. So there I has agree. to be some sort of authority. There has to be some sort of expectations. And a part of that is the reality of sex and the psychology of sex. And yeah, I'm not saying you know be totalitarian about it, but understand. I, I think that erasing that is, it's like throwing away the Bible. It's, it's erasing hundreds of thousands of collective uh, years of experience around dealing with each other as mothers and, and fathers and brothers and sisters and, and yeah. lovers. Right. Yeah. And that, that's you gender. Can't, and I don't think it's you immaterial. can't get away. Yeah. You can't get away from that. Yeah. Right. But that's, you can't get away from that. When you say, you know, do what you want, I mean, you could you could argue this is semantics and it may well be. I think the problem is that we've replaced do what you want with do what you desire. Right? And so that's a different thing. thing. That's a thing. different thing. Yeah, because uh, yeah, absolutely, you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Short, yeah, like, dislike, like, dislike. It's yeah. that short-term yeah. hit. Yeah. Right? Nobody believes that do what you want means do what you want. What it means was, what it means is you can... Go out and explore and be whatever you want to be, but you're going to have to do it around other people and they will teach you as you go, whether or not you've, you know, somebody said to me the other week in the pub, they called me something. They called me an old pufter, right? And I'd only just, <laughs> right? Oh, yes, because you're an old pufter, right? And I'd only just met this young person and one of my other mates went, Oi, I've known him 15 years. I can do that. You can't. Anyway, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Right. So do you, are you with me? Yeah. So we, we, we form these social groups where we, where we decide what is our, place to be and we have as you said earlier on elders who will go nah not yeah. having that yeah. right so that that is always going to happen naturally because it's part of being a human yeah you know so i think i think we have, don't confuse do what you want with do what you desire because you're absolutely spot on it's the short-term hit yeah yeah well i mean and even just understanding just the work that is being done by Mary Harrington. I was bringing these girls up in every episode, girls, women, in every episode. Louise Perry and Mary Harrington are two of the stars just trying to map out what it is to be a woman and, and kind of restarting the liberal project, restarting, um, mm. taking a critical eye at the sexual revolution, how that's actually panned out for women and how it's actually affected um, women's long-term desires to be mm. mothers, to, to uh, enlive, uh embody the rich capacity of their reproductive force in the world and how that is that requires long-term thinking to to pull that off right and then it also uh 
requires men to have a certain standard of behavior too. And then going from that, from what is good to society, not from you have to do this because this is how it's always been. And you are a man, you're a woman, you have to do this. But understanding that this is what a man is. This is what a woman is. And it extends beyond just the small and large gamete in my estimation. And everybody's kind of falls down differently. And I'm not a proponent of the gender ideology where you can just like, you just feel out this gender stuff. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like this grounded, it, it, again, it's like this erotic, positive potential force um, that, that, that fuels our creativity, our personalities. And we, we, in the very least, we should respect it. We should respect that sex is, 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 informs us wholly well camille palia speaks very well about this yeah um you know and, and her, her discussion around eroticism and what is eroticism is very interesting um i think she's a very interesting woman altogether yeah. you know i think she's extraordinary and i could listen to her for hours the young ones can't because she talks too fast <laughs> but i could listen to her for hours yeah. Yeah, and i think what 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 you're absolutely right what you're arguing for there are shades of gray that are based in history you should become a warrior teacher, Benjamin. I think you'd be a good one. A warrior teacher. So what does it require to become a warrior teacher? Do you do you have like a you just, obstacle you just sign course up and that join. you have to go through? You just okay. sign up and join. And then we oh. meet every month. It's, you know, and we are the most motley crew, Ben. You know, it's mums and, and gay people. It's We're a most motley crew. And I think that's really indicative of the times. It's suddenly you've got yeah. strange bedfellows. That yeah. I could be talking to a radical feminist who's talking, you know, it's and what's brilliant about it is that they're all there to have the conversation that you've just described. Okay. Right. This yeah. idea that we've now got this narrative through history, which is recorded in a way it never has been before. And we've had the sexual revolution. And if you look back at the sexual revolution, particularly in America, there was a wonderful photographic book. I can't remember the name of the woman who did it, where she photographed people like Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and all the major players yeah. and said, can you see it? Can you see the feminism in them? It's a fantastic book. And it, it asks you to pause and look and see whether or not you can see it within them. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there's a great, I think they, they've done a documentary recently called Feminists. What did they think they were doing? Which is also very interesting. <laughs> and I think that feminism was one of the most major and powerful forces and did an awful lot of good over the last 80 years. Well, we've now got the records. Why not sit down and talk about the bits that weren't so good? As if they, you know, and it's not like most people can say, well, it was all good. Was it really? All of it, was it? Right. Yeah, it's not. Because nothing's all good. Yeah. Nothing is all good. And we've got to stop We've got to stop going, actually, let's apportion blame. And we need to start doing, let's learn from what happened. So it's almost like the entire Western world needs a kind of truth and reconciliation committee oh, where we're not going to string people up for it. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I know that sounds extreme, but this should be something we do as individuals. Yeah. Let's explore the past and find our own narrative so that we bring narratives to the table that complicate the situation enough for people to stop being ideological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a little bit That's of that practical storytelling in. And yeah. um, and going from the ideological into the character-based narrative yeah. situation. Here I am as a part of a story. Um, yes. And everybody else I'm meeting up with. So how do people yeah. intersect with you? You're on Twitter and you're on YouTube and you're running a bunch of workshops, it sounds like. So what do you want to plug? Yeah, well, it's um. There's a website called thewinningmindset.co.uk, and you can go. It's, it's rough as houses. I mean, it's, I've got. I'm not really interested in doing anything. Bangs and whistles. You know, if you want to do this, you want to do this. Yeah. Um. I'm a head warrior TWM. I can send you all this thing. Put it. In the yeah, yeah. If you It'll want. be in the yeah. description, but just uh, put it in people's ears as well. Yeah. Head, head warrior TWM on Twitter, and I also have a, a, a YouTube where you can go and see the guy called the EDI Jester. 
EDI. Equality, diversity, and inclusion. Okay. Just, which is me. Yeah. What, <laughs> and what, he's, he's outrageous. He pokes the bear. That's what, the whole point. What got you started poking bears? I mean, that came out wrong. I'm talking to an old poofter, but... um. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. I'm never going to poke a bear in my life. I'm a bear. Thank you very much. I'll stick. <laughs> you opened yourself up to one there, didn't you? Right? Okay. <laughs> Please forgive me at home. <laughs> brilliant. 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 So the EDI jester is there to poke the bear. I cause trouble. That's what he does. Yeah. Right? Well, what what kind of started? We need, we need jesters, eh? Why why did you start recording yourself? What what prompted you to um speak it on? was actually it was one of my friends who said to me, you know, your medium's really video, you should do it on video. Yeah. And I uh, didn't he was right. Uh, he was like, Why are you talking to me? Just talk to the internet. <laughs> Let's watch yeah. a movie. <laughs> yeah. Shut up and talk. You know? It, it's it's almost that. But it's it's I'm surprised at how popular it's become so quickly. I did one video called A Letter to Gay Men which were designed for the men I knew who won't talk to me anymore. Um, so that they would start looking into this with some depth. And I started with Evergreen and then moved from Evergreen through to other resources that are available. And that got 10,500 views when I had 100 subscribers. Uh -huh. What so was the content of the And now I'm stalled. And the content is essentially asking them questions about how do you feel about these particular things that are going on? Like over here, the Tavistock, what's happening with sterilizing gay children? You know, or if you'd like to see what happened to Evergreen and what happens when you let this stuff get into an organization. So it gave them a number of things that they could look at um, so that I'm able at some point in the future when I see them all again to say, I bloody told you so. And you did nothing about it because huh. well, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at them. I am mad at them. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what is the social repercussion to your position? And have you always kind of had this, uh, I guess, skeptical, a mix of skepticism and curiosity about um, these movements? Um, I've all, I've been I've always been skeptical of anything said that says you will do because I want to do what I like. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always been skeptical of that, yeah. you know. And when when they started saying in the universities and stuff, no, you will you will teach this way. I'm like, hang on a minute, that's not teaching. If you're saying teach this way, it's not teaching. Okay. Is it because you know you'll teach stru post structuralism or you'll teach post modernism? We don't want you to tell them that this is it. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the truth. No, no, we can't use that. We're now going to, okay, nothing's real. It's all huh. been deconstructed. It's all about language. And I was like, tell me that when you get hit by a deconstructed bus. Yeah. You know, it's just nonsense. We know postmodernism post is nonsense. It's been debunked bloody years ago. So it's um, it was very much about, I'm not having this, and I'm going to start looking for it. And I found it in droves. Okay. And then I I lost a contract because of it. And it yeah. sort of snowballed from there, really. And I'm an older man now who's unemployable, so I've got to make a living somewhere. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll start a YouTube channel. I'll do this course and see if I can get it off the ground. Okay. And that's where we currently are. Okay. And so the YouTube channel is uh, kind of more media-based, um, but you also have courses that you're offering. Do you, yeah. Going forward, what's your roadmap? Um, well, at the moment, we've we've just completed the first year with the first cohort and now I can review it and see what I thought worked well and what didn't. And I can talk to them and get some feedback from okay. them. And then, but it's extraordinary stuff. One of them has been on television. The other one's helped somebody desist. It's been an amazing journey, you know, and these are, these are just folk like you and I, Ben, they're just mm -hmm. folk, you know? And, and so I started, I've opened it up now to other people. So I'm currently marketing to get more people on the course. Yeah. And um, I've not had much joy in America, to be honest, because I will, I, I'll do one where I start at six in the morning 
or I'll do it now, like this time, so that people are up and able to do it on a Sunday. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's trying to get the timeframes can be a bit difficult. So we've got a new cohort starting, signing up in March and starting in April. Okay. And then hopefully there'll be another one in June or July. I keep the numbers small. So it's it's only a maximum of you know sixteen, because it, because in the two and a half hours or two hours or whatever we want conversation, we want feedback, yeah. and then everybody also joins a WhatsApp group with their cohort and they go through the twelve months together. Wow, twelve months. Yeah, well, we meet for two hours a month. Okay, and it also means that they can pay for it monthly as opposed to having to pay this huge wallop up front because often yeah. they're you know they don't have that kind of money or the, you know so I wanted to and also that means they can leave at any time. Yeah. And that keeps me on my toes. And this is all run through your website or? Yeah, it's, it's people um, want to sign up. Or at least, yeah. It's, yeah, you can sign yeah. up through the website. I'll yeah. send you the details so that you can put them in the Dubris. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how kind people are and how generous people can be. Mm-hmm. You know, if they appreciate what you do, then it can be a very life affirming experience. I would, I can say as a 58 year old man, that's been a trainer for 30 odd years. This is without a shadow of a doubt. The best thing I've ever done. Really? Yeah. Why? Quality because because it's making it's making a real difference. Okay. To real people's lives, it's not me going into some corporate place and saying, you know, if you do X, this is actually something that I've had to put together myself and to understand. You know how complex this stuff is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not only to understand it, but to try and find a way of putting it across that makes it seem understandable for an individual, so they they've got some sort of spine that they can build the body of their understanding around. Yeah. So it's it's certainly from my perspective, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Are Not you, financially either. Are you uh, open or th- have thought of making a corporate version of this or, or figuring out? I know Helen Pluckrose, I don't know if you know her, but she started Counterweight, which was something similar to this to try to develop professional resources for um, kind of teaching people not to behave this way or, or to get out of thinking in the way that we've described have you thought of like marketing well, I, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've read Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay extensively and I follow them online and I think their new discourses website is absolutely amazing, but it's no good if you're trying to introduce it to somebody that has no clue. Yeah. yeah. So I, I use new discourse. I say to people, go and look at this on the, or, or read this book, you know, as you would with any seminar. Um, but uh, it's very much for me, it's about where's the 15 minute stump speech. Where do I stand? You know, get, and I think that's hard, hard to find Ben. It's hard to find. So it's about getting that, but also about the fact that I wanted it to be about real people. The the corporate world is fine. You just have a job getting paid and suddenly you're involved in having to go to this meeting and that meeting. And I'm like, no, no. If you want your MD to learn this, you'll send him on this course and you'll pay the same as everybody else. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm too old in the tooth to have to spend all my time managing email inquiries from a dozen departments yeah. or for that matter battling like i used to years ago with half the company because they don't want to do the change that's coming i yeah. I'm genuinely don't want to do yeah, it yeah yeah you know but, i think it's soul destroying well over 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 the years as you do this insofar as you continue to do this you'd probably be able to translate it into some sort of pedagogical material like a book or a workshop do you does that sound uh like a possibility right, do you the, write the next about this yeah, yeah. the next plan is to find somebody else that can teach it. Yeah. Right? So, for example, if one of my warrior teachers said, I'm going to go on this again for another year so I can teach it. And I'm like, well, actually producing the train the trainer to do this, if you want to call it that, for argument's sake, 
that's a huge, that's huge. That's, you're like, right, okay, there's 300 hours of video. There's 12 books. It's massive. So actually what I have to look for is people that have a general understanding and have also got some teaching experience. And I've got a couple of people in mind who are looking over it now. Uh, with the idea being that they would then take on their own cohorts, advertise their own cohorts. Yeah. I want it to be that kind of organic thing. I don't want it to be yeah. like a franchise where I, I don't want it to be where I'm sat at the centre like some fat spider controlling it. <laughs> because the second, because the second I thought that it was becoming something that the masses believed, I'd stop it anyway. Hmm. Like, now we start something else now. Yeah, you know. It, yeah. well that's that thing about living long enough to see yourself become a villain <laughs> if you're not careful you know you're just addicted you to being was, fringe you just want to be fringe i just want to be fringe. it's your aesthetic but it's not, well it was it was kierkegaard i think who said um all the best ideas come from the minority and the minute they're taken on by the majority they become absolute bloody nonsense yeah. and i think he was probably right yeah so so it's it's this works but it only works if it's empowering people to write that letter talk to that congressman have that conversation with their child, speak to their neighbor, you know, and they'll come to me and they'll say, I've had a win. And then it goes in the WhatsApp group and everybody's going, wow, you know, I changed this person's mind. I got this procedure changed. I got this pro. So it's very much about we're, we're sort of doing the chipping away at the little bits yeah. and bit by bit we'll get there because yeah. from what we're seeing, that's one area of attack because that will be one that lasts longest because you've got to change people's minds. The other area of attack is lawfare. Because that will bring big change very quickly. Yeah, well, yeah. But it's fascinating, Ben. It's fascinating. Amazing. Well, Barry, thank you so much for your evening. I hope you do get some sleep tonight at some point. But uh, <laughs> it was just absolutely brilliant to talk to you. I'm so glad that we encountered each other. And I'll make sure that, to send everybody your way because uh, you're, just, you're great to listen to. So that's just a positive that you got that's going. That's really kind you. of you to say so. Same for you. I always say you've got a honeyed voice. A honeyed voice. Yeah. My dulcet tones. Was, years ago, there was an advert in the UK, which was for a chocolate bar called Cadbury's Caramel, right? Ooh. And there was this Campus voice. That Caramel? Was like, Cadbury's, Cadbury's. Oh, Cadbury's. Which is the name of the chocolate company. And the voice, the voiceover, it was an animated rabbit. And the voiceover was, why are you running around, Mr. Rabbit? Come and have some... Ca-. And, it, and I, whenever I hear you, I always think of that, right? <laughs> this lovely honeyed... But it was a, a West Country accent from the UK. One, and, it, and, of course, that the voice was actually Miriam Margulies, who played Professor Flitwick in Harry Potter. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, but this wonderful honeyed voice. Was, that's what I always say. You know, Benja- I always say to people, say, oh, do you know Benjamin Boyce? I say, yeah, he's so bloody <laughs> horizontal. I said, he's so laid back, he's almost horizontal. You know? <laughs> That's putting the two of us together. It's like uh, it's like I, the Duracell bunny meets the stone <laughs> rabbit. Stone rabbit. I should start selling chocolates. That'd probably be really good for my. Um, I think my, you should. My professional. Yeah, it's uh, it's very kind of you to say those nice things, Ben. And I'm sorry if I speak over, but I get quite passionate. About no, it. no, you do. That's what I'm saying. But let me end the recording. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. <laughs>